Rusty Quill presents. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 53124 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to bluenile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's bluenile.com. bluenile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Another dream. I woke and slept in spats. My current surroundings crept in further and further every time I would wake and then return to sleep. I was Rafael Muslani. I was working tirelessly on my new short story collection, Salesmen and True Believers. Time stretched out endlessly in front of me. There was plenty of time to write the collection in one night. If I did not finish the collection, there would simply be more night. I would exit the evening with a full collection of short stories, Salesmen and True Believers. Short story collections often work best if there is a larger story or a novella to center the collection on. I already had that. The largest part of my work was already done. Oh God, I am Larry was going to pull a lot of the weight. I liked that title. 
I didn't think I was going to like that title, but that title not having to be the title on the cover of the book recontextualized it, and turned it into something that I could appreciate. It was a good little story. It was a story that was good because it was little. It could not be something larger. Terrible Help is Hard to Find was a story that was larger, and was worse because of it. It would also inevitably be a larger part of my legacy than Oh God, I Am Larry, because it was a bestseller and had a movie adaptation. I, Raphael Muslani, was Terrible Help is Hard to Find. I was not Oh God, I Am Larry. It was actually liberating to not be Oh God, I Am Larry. Even if it were not the best work I had ever written, that would be alright because no one had expectations for it. Ironically, for that reason, it would likely be one of the best things that I had ever written. I thought about how many stories there should be. I decided on six stories without even knowing what five of those stories were going to be. Any fewer felt like a disservice to the stories. A short story collection with two stories feels like two failed novels that got published anyway. Any more than six would be overlong and tedious. I was going to have to write these stories, after all. I didn't want this night to take all night. The first story was going to be about a salesman. I wanted to capture the feeling of the beginning of John Barth's Lost in the Funhouse, which I felt started off a short story collection in the way that a short story collection should start. Raphael Muslani would never have this feeling, but I felt in between myself and himself as I woke and slept and woke and slept again. I wanted to write a story like Ambrose His Mark, which felt like the er-first story. As I am awake and describing this, I am reminded that Ambrose His Mark is not the first story in Lost in the Funhouse. Night Sea Journey is the first story. Technically, the first story is a strip of page to be cut and taped into a Mobius strip that reads, There once was a story that began. Though I would argue that this is not strictly a story, but rather an art piece achieved through the medium of the book. I have never cut the piece out of the book for fear of losing it. Ambrose's Mark is a straightforward and serious story told in a serious manner. It displays Barth's craft and capability so that he can dissect and discuss the nature of this craft in the bizarre stories that follow. I wanted to write something that would wow the reader in its fluency and traditional writing craft so that when the reader eventually gets to Oh God, I Am Larry, they would know what was being subverted, and that I was fully capable of authoring the craft and its subversion. It was something that I had earned. Ambrose's mark also notably has an encyclopedia salesman in it, Uncle Carl. The puzzle pieces don't exactly fit, connecting my stories to his, but this was a dream, and the notches in the puzzle pieces were changing the longer that I thought about them. My first story would be a period piece. It essentially had to be. Both salesmen and true believers are groups that evoke a period that is not the current day. Both have been rendered obsolete by modern technology and cynicism. A story where either is taken seriously is a story that is by necessity set in the past. It's romantic. The more sinister elements of selling things or believing in things can be glossed over. It was a different time, semantically separated from the reader. You might not have even been born when the story is set, drifting anchorless through the time period at the whims of the author. There are things to sell other than encyclopedias, of course. I wanted to write a story about someone who was generally reviled. It is enlightening to write stories about people who are filled with human flaws. You do not have to come up with the best decisions. You can go with your gut. You can see the negative consequences ahead and you can drive straight into them with confidence. It can even be empowering from a personal perspective. It normalizes human foibles. They are heightened from the mistakes that you make in your normal life, but they are not different mistakes. They are mistakes in different contexts with different severity and thus different consequences. It is for this reason that I wanted to make the first story about a health insurance salesman. A salesman and not a true believer. Someone who is easy to conjure in the mind and to despise, based solely on a job description. I named him Fletcher. Not a common name, but one that evokes an image. Someone who makes arrows. Who creates a tool for killing. Who is considered best at his job when he is capable of producing the most carnage. Fletcher. 
The irony being, of course, that he sells health insurance, which ostensibly is supposed to be of some relief to you financially if you are ever the victim of some sort of carnage or grievous injury. Names as symbolic representations of a theme work best when they are subtle. It is alright that you don't get it. You will get the theme anyway. Fletcher is enormous. He's got these huge hands that dwarf anyone that he shakes hands with. He's six and a half feet tall and buff. He would be intimidating if he weren't so calm and kind. His demeanor was that of a gentle giant. No one had ever heard him raise his voice, especially not a customer that he was pitching overpriced insurance to. He wouldn't hurt a fly, is a common expression to describe this sort of person, generally in a story to signify the disconnect between someone's demeanor and the heinousness of some sort of action that everyone else finds themselves incapable of believing actually happened. Fletcher wouldn't hurt a fly. It is a mistake to think of Fletcher's calmness or slow way of talking to be indicative of a lack of mental acuity. Fletcher is smart as attack. Smart as attack being a phrase used to convey that a character is going to easily overcome their obstacles through lateral thinking. Fletcher knows that he is selling a product that exists because society is evil. He knows that the product that he is selling is overpriced, even compared to other evil companies selling the same thing. It's the 1950s and people are going to buy insurance from the guy that shows up on their doorstep when they need insurance, or can be convinced that they need insurance. Fletcher knew all of this and would commiserate with the people that he was selling to. It's a total ripoff, he would say and sigh, but it's even more of a ripoff if you don't have it. That was his angle, to be the lesser of two evils. It was successful. Salesmen are known for talking fast and telling people what they want to hear. Fletcher spoke slowly and told people what they didn't want to hear. It was a winning strategy. Fletcher's lying felt honest. The story takes place in 1954, right after the IRS forever tied health insurance to employment by making employee health insurance tax-exempt. Fletcher's job just got a whole lot harder. Now charisma wasn't enough. The people he was selling to had a rebuttal. Why would I go through you when I can go through my work for cheaper? Even Fletcher wasn't a good enough liar to have a reliable comeback to this argument. The people had a better option. The meat of the story takes place in an elderly woman's kitchen. Fletcher is trying to sell her health insurance. The woman is old. She's receptive. She's being taken advantage of. Fletcher is winning. He's getting everything that he wants from this woman. He upsells her, and when she agrees, he upsells her again. He does not feel bad for the woman. He was thinking about putting his house on the market because he needed the money before this encounter. Now he thought he would be able to hold on to the house for a while longer. He did not care about the woman. He was willing to take everything from her. The story is told with an omniscient narrator who gives up Fletcher's avaricious thoughts as he sits there and talks to her, calmly and politely. Then, the woman gets a call from her son, someone close to Fletcher's age. She answers and tells him about the man in her kitchen, what he is selling, and for how much. Fletcher can't hear what the man is saying on the other end of the line, but he can hear that the man is yelling. The woman's face changes. Oh my goodness, she says, over and over again, in reaction to the man's words. She hangs up and she is no longer polite. Fletcher tries to explain, tries to talk his way out of this. The woman isn't having it any longer. Fletcher is panicking, scrambling desperately to get back into her good graces. He smiles widely and explains that her son must be mistaken. I've worked in this industry for a decade, ma'am, and I know for a fact that you're getting the best deal that I've ever seen, he says. She doesn't buy it. In a rage that was lingering in the background, but never explicitly expressed, Fletcher stands up from the table and flips it over. Silverware and plates crash to the ground. He steps up to the woman as if he is going to lay his enormous hands on her. He could completely destroy this woman and walk away, and no one would ever know it was him. Nobody knew that he was there but her. It is at this point that the house stands up and begins to walk. He is in Baba Yaga's hut, adapted to mid-century suburban America. It is walking on enormous chicken legs, fast enough that it throws Fletcher backwards since he wasn't anticipating for it to happen. 
It is Fletcher that ends up on the floor of the kitchen, not the old woman. You should have been honest, the woman explains. I would have taken a bad deal that I knew was bad, but now we must be going. Fletcher doesn't know where they are going. The story ends. In the dream, I was satisfied with this story. It wasn't typical of a Rafael Muslani story. There was a fantastical twist at the end, but it wasn't about aliens. It was more like a magical realist story than a sci-fi story. It was more about the main character and what his way of living said about the world than it was about creating a world with rules and trying to understand those rules. I titled the story HEALTH in all capital letters. It would be the first story in the collection. It had the things that I wanted out of a first story. It was character-driven, thematic, short, and punchy. It instilled the desire to read more stories. It was something that you could talk to someone else about. Did you see it coming? People would ask about the twist at the end. I would write in the subtlest of clues to make sure that people could see it coming, on close examination or on a reread. Maybe the house has straw all around it, like a chicken's habitat on a farm. Maybe the woman has a Russian accent. I didn't get to plan these aspects of the story before I woke up. I woke up in Rafael Muslani's guest room. The sun was already up. I could smell breakfast cooking, in the kitchen. I thought about the story. It did not matter that I had written a Rafael Muslani story. I was not Rafael Muslani. I thought that I was because I was having a dream, but now that I was not having that dream, I was not him. Because it was morning, he had already finished writing the stories that would go into Salesmen and True Believers. Even if I came to him with my story, there would be no room to fit it in. He wouldn't take my idea away from me anyway. It was my idea. It was not his to take, and he would recognize that. I thought that I might tell him about it anyway, as a curiosity. I was never going to write health on my own. It was something that could be shared between us, from one Rafael Muslani to another. <laughs> <laughs>